0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bibles, please, and open to the book of 1 John chapter 2, please. And I want you to look at me, uh, look, look with me together at verse number 28, book of 1 John chapter 2, one verse, verse number 28, and uh, consider these thoughts together this morning and then we'll get you on your way. It says, and now little children. Let me have your attention for a moment. Based upon that opening phrase, do you think what we're about to read is addressed to the saved people or unsaved people? You tell me. Save. God does not say to the unsaved heathen, you're my little child. He, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in John 8, 44, that those that are not saved says, ye are of your father, the devil. So the fact that it begins here by saying, and now little children, we know it's speaking specifically to a group of folks that are his own saved children. Those that have been born again. So what is it he wants to tell us? And now, little children, by the way, three words that can literally change your life. Here they are. Abide in Him. Wait a minute. You mean, Brother Davis, it's possible to be one of His children and live your life in such a way that it's not determined that you're abiding in Christ? Obviously, if God saw necessary to record in the book to His own crowd, hey, abide in Him! then obviously some of us may not be abiding in Him. It goes on to say, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, not that if He shall appear, or by uh, some, uh, some freak of nature He does appear, says that when He shall appear. Several things. Number one, talking to His own crowd. Number two, He's coming back again. It's not if, it's just when. That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. My wife and I had just experienced one of the most blessed events in our entire history. We were excited the day we got married. We were excited entering into our new life together. But then the Lord saw fit a couple of years into our marriage to bless us with our first child. And my uh, wife, about 10 o'clock on Monday evening, let me know it's time to go into the hospital. And, of course, all the stuff that you... Uh, see on, uh, on, on comic kind of things, you know, run into the car and grabbing the bag and leaving the wife, all that stuff. We did all that stuff. I was nervous and got her down to the hospital because, Matt, you just, no, you've got to get there because the baby's coming. Well, about 24 hours later, uh, the, you know, you had plenty of, t- you, you not only had time to pick up the bag, you could have gone down and bought another one, could have picked out new clothes at the department store, uh, gone out to eat, gone on a honeymoon cruise, and then come back later. But uh, we, we were so excited about that thing, and, and Heather was finally born. Man, August 3rd, uh, 1976, she was born in Michigan, Flint, Michigan. It was hot. The the, the Midwest, for some of you who don't understand this, it uh, has all the extremes. And the summertime there, it gets very hot and extremely humid. And I remember walking out of there after having that hard night of having to sit up all night long while my wife gave birth. That's difficult. Nurses are mean to you. Come in and say, "What are you doing in here?" Well, I, my wife's having a baby. Well, so what? Well, yeah. And 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 I remember moving the chair up next to my wife's bed so I could sit there and hold hands with her when she want Sometimes she wanted to hold my hand. Other times she wanted to shoot me with a shotgun. And uh, I, and I remember moving the chair up there next to the bed, and the and this 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 huge nurse came in. And she looked around. My wife was in the bed going through all the, 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 the labor stuff. And I was, I had been, and I was standing up looking out the window. And the nurse, just the two of us, she walked in. She said, who moved this chair? I, my wife did. It is really hard on the husband. I, I want you folks to pray for the husband during those days. So finally Heather was born, man. I was I was so excited and had been up all night long, you know. And, and it was about a hundred and three degrees outside there in Flint, Michigan, on that day. And I remember walking out of the hospital, and I'd been there all night long, so I had not had to, I wasn't able to get my midnight snack, and was not able to get my breakfast and my coffee, and so. I wanted to go take care of some basic needs that I had and I said, you know what? I don't care where I go. I don't care where I eat as long as it's air conditioned. The first place, I don't care if it's a bar. I'm going to go if it's air conditioned. I'm going in. Driving down the road and looked over and I saw this big old sign and and had a, had a had a thing in the window advertising air conditioning and I thought, "Man, this is great." Walked in there. It was a burger king. And I went in there and I ordered the Whopper and the french fry and the milkshake. And I was um, I was dressed up in, in a business suit, much like I have on right now. And when I walked in and placed my order and went over and sat down, I noticed, I just sort of had this feeling. Have you ever had this where you felt like somebody was watching you? And, and, I, and I'd look around and sure enough, that there's a little window by the kitchen. And I looked there and all of these workers back in the kitchen were looking out that window at me. I thought, what's up with this? And what, why do they do it? What was, you know, my hair messed up or what? I mean, I've had a hard night, folks. But um, uh, so I, I just kept eating. And, and when I'd look at the window, man, they'd scatter. And a few minutes later, I felt like, you know, I'll think somebody's watching me. I'd look over, they're all looking out again. Man, they came out of that kitchen. They were mopping the floors and sweeping, emptying out the garbage cans. Had a guy outside sweeping off the sidewalk and raking leash picking up garbage off the ground. Man, they were busy. I thought, man, I've never seen people in a fast food restaurant work this, you know, like this. I mean, they, they're washing the tables. And, I mean, they every every detail, known the man they were tending to. Just a few minutes later, the manager of the restaurant walked by. How would you know he was the manager? Well, he had that little hat on that said manager. And uh, they're really proud of the fact they, they graduated from Hamburger University, wherever it is they go. And they uh, walked by and he said, sir how was your how, how is your sandwich well I've, I've been eating at mcdonald's and burger king and wendy's you know for a long time and i've never number one i've never had anybody refer to that food as you know how is your sandwich it's not a sandwich it's a hamburger but how is your sandwich and then and then, and then they said well, well well how was your service i said sandwich is fine service is great and um I finished eating there, and I still was working on the milkshake. And I I took a little notepad out, and I began to write some things in there. As a matter of fact, I was looking at it just the other day. It was a poem that I wrote about the fact of our first baby being born and a little girl and all this stuff. And it's a it's a. You say, well, will I ever read it in something famous?" <laughs> no, it's corny, but it meant something to my daughter. But uh, years ago, years later, when I gave it to her, she laughed at it and made fun of me, of course. But. Uh, the meter didn't work, work and all the rhyme wasn't, wasn't you know, how do you rhyme, how do you rhyme orange? But uh, uh, all this wasn't, wasn't great, but I, I was writing this thing down, poem, and this guy walked by and I saw him looking like, what are you writing? I looked at him and he took off running. I thought, what is going on? then finally, the manager came over and he said, all right, what are you writing? <laughs> Burger King, how's your sandwich? How's the service? Washing the windows, washing the tables, sweeping, mopping, everything. And, and now there's wondering, what am I writing? I said, what am I writing? I said, I'm, I'm writing a poem. He said, you're writing a poem? I thought maybe it was against the law to write poems in Burger King. I didn't know. He said, well, well, who are you? He said, I'm, I'm Wally Davis. He said, Well, what company are you with? Man, I've never been interrogated like that anywhere, let alone a restaurant. And, well, I had a policeman ask all that stuff once. But uh, I, I said, uh, I'm not with anybody, I'm just me. He said, well, what are you doing here? I said, my wife just had a baby. It was a little girl. I'm writing a poem about my brand new little baby girl. And I came in to her eat because you have air conditioning. He said, you mean you're not with the regional office? I said, no. He said, oh, man. He said, someone called the store this morning and said the regional manager is going to be coming in and we better have everything ship You're not him? I said, no, I'm a Baptist preacher. So, he walked back in the kitchen and just came up through trash on the floor, streaked up the windows again. They thought I was there to investigate their local store. And man, they were doing everything they could to make sure that it was working and looking not, not just like it should, but better than it even required in the regulations. I remember thinking after that guy walked away, and he was frustrated that he worked so hard for nothing. I remember thinking to myself, you know what? If they worked every day like I saw them working right now, the regional manager could show up anytime he wants to. And he'd be finding them in compliance and they wouldn't have anything to be worried about. Now listen to me. Many of us in this room, many of us, not all of us perhaps, but many of us in this room, if we would tell the truth before Almighty God, are not as concerned about the way we behave when we believe we're not being observed as we are when we know that somebody is watching. We would do things when we think we can get away with it that we would never do if Dr. Jorgensen was standing behind us. The Word of God says here, by the way, how do you know this is true about some Christians? Because the Word of God says, hey, some Christians, hey, little children, abide in Him. Why? That you may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His appearing. You mean, Brother Davis, there are some of us in this room, if Jesus would have come back at some given moment in this past week, we would have been ashamed, according to the Word of God, yes. And by the way, that's not just the high schoolers that might be visiting here. That's not just the college young men and young ladies who go to college here. That includes evangelists, and that includes preachers, and that includes staff members, and that includes moms and dads. God looks down, and He says, hey! Hey! I want you to abide in me because I am coming back. And some of you are going to be ashamed before me at my appearing. Abide in him. Why? Could I suggest a couple of things to you this morning? First of all, that your prayers might be answered. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verse 7, If ye abide in me, there are that phrase is again, And my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done. In as the Word of God says there is such a way that you and I can live. And there's such a way that we can hone in on the will of God that when we pray, He says, yes, you've been abiding in me. My words are abiding in you. You can ask what you will, and it shall be done. Because if you're abiding in Christ, you're not going to ask amiss. You're not going to ask for things to be consumed upon your lust. You're going to pray in the will of God. And he says, if you abide in me, you can ask what you will, and it shall be done. When I was in Bible college, I, I don't know exactly how it all worked out, but I, in, in a very quick fashion, just to let you know that a friend of mine, Brother Den Carroll, who pastors the 50th Avenue Baptist Church in Cicero, Illinois, has been there 20-some years. He and I, as college kids, were invited to travel the nation holding revival meetings. I don't know why a preacher had us come in. I, I would not have had me come. I was 19 years old, 19 and 20 and 21, the years that we traveled. And my buddy was just, you know, a year or so older than I was. And, and, man, we traveled the nation. I mean, New York and Florida and Ohio and Michigan and and uh, and, and Kansas City and, and out here in, in California. I mean, everywhere. God just opened up doors for us. I, I got home once. By the way, I had a man that uh, worked where my father worked at General Motors, who was in charge of hiring uh, folks for the, the assembly line. I could have gone home. He, he already called me and said, hey, I've got you here, got your paperwork ready to go. I could have gone back home to Pontiac Truck and Coach, worked three months during the summer, and paid off my entire school bill just from working in the summertime. I mean, by the way, that was tempting. But God opened up the doors for us to travel, and we did. I got back home, and I had enough money after traveling the entire summer and paying gas and and room and all that stuff when you're on the road. It came out of our pockets because we were funded by nobody. We were supported not not by any particular organization or group. Got back home, and, 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 and I paid the registration fee and the matriculation fee and the student activity fee and the bad attitude fee and all the other fees they charge and get in Bible college. I had zero money left. I was able to get in, able to to have a spot held to uh, to, to get me started. But uh, and, and and when it came time to make the monthly payments, I was behind the eight ball. I remember going to my room and uh, I got down on my knees. And I said, "Now, Lord, I have to pay some more money at th- th- the end of this week. I don't have any. And I've been out looking for work and just the the, the, the finding the schedule and." Enough money to, to to make it work at that time. I just didn't have the money, and and, and I said, Lord, I I, I worked hard and I traveled all summer and and I, and I did what I was supposed to do. I really believe I obeyed the will of God, but but here I am needing to make another payment. I don't have the money. I flipped open my Bible, and this verse just kind of jumped out of me, and he said, "The blessing of the Lord maketh not poor." And I said, "Something's wrong with that verse," because. We have the blessing of the Lord, but I'm poor. And I can't even make my payment, and I don't know what to do. I didn't even have enough money to eat. I had no money in the bank. Every penny I had was gone. And I remember going downstairs, and at that time I was, I was living at the, at, at the bus center there, First Baptist Church in Hammond, going to House Anderson College. And uh, they they'd given me a place to stay there, and I, I went downstairs. And our college students back in those days, we would feed regularly feed uh, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand bus kids on a Sunday. We'd make the college kids would go out there and they had a big kind of an assembly room there, and they would make sandwiches. I remember I said, "Hey." I'm hungry, I don't have any money, Well, we feed several thousand bus kids almost every Sunday around here. There's got to be something left over down there where we put the sandwiches together. I'll just go make me a sandwich. I walked down there and there was the refrigerator. I opened up that refrigerator and inside the refrigerator was a jar of the, the creakle cut dill pickle sliced pickles that you put on a hamburger. There were about eight of those slices of pickle doing the backstroke and the pickle juice in there. And I looked at that and I thought, man, what kind of a meal can you make out of pickles? I pulled it out and sat on the table and I looked around and on top of the refrigerator was all that was left of the bread. It was a cellophane wrapper, wonder bread, with two pieces of bread inside of it. You know which two pieces they were? The pieces that nobody really usually wants, but I was hungry, I didn't care. I reached in, I pulled out, you know, the heel that was on this side and the heel that was on that side, the end pieces, and I looked at it and then I realized why there were two of those pieces left in the cellophane wrapper. About that far, all around the edge of that bread was a beautiful fluorescent green color. Some clothing designer had found out they'd have made some color out of it, you know, and sold it on the next, the next year. But, I mean, mold, enough, enough mold on there to make penicillin for everybody in Chicago. And I looked at that and I thought, well, at least it's color coordinated. It matches the pickles <laughs> and designer food. And I didn't know about mold. I didn't know they had little tentacles that ran through. I mean, there's the part you can see, and then there's a the part that runs you know, throughout the whole bread. So I just said, I, I, I'll rip off the edge of the bread and I'll stick the eight pickle things in between it and I'll have supper. So Dr. Jim Vineyard was in charge of the bus ministry back in those days and he had told me, he said now Wally, he said my office is here, it's open, use it all you want to, all my books are in there if you need to study, do a report or something, uh, need information, just use it, use my office, there's a typewriter in there if you need to You need to type, he said just go on in there. So I said you know what if I'm going to eat this molded pickle sandwich at least I'm going to sit and his beautiful office and nice carpet and a nice chair and desk and uh, pleasant surroundings which was different than the rest of the bus barn and uh, so I said at least I'm going to go in and sit in an office and have a nice place to eat this molded pickle sandwich and I went in there and set that sandwich down on his desk sat down in his chair leaned back cropped my foot up on the edge of the desk and I said Lord I'm going to eat this sandwich don't know if it's going to hurt me or not and I'm not griping, and I'm not got a bad attitude. But I just, you know, thought I maybe mean, do better than a pickle sandwich. And Lord, please bless it to the needs of my body. About that time, the, the telephone rang. Now, I never wanted to answer the phone at the bus bar, and There's always some college kid broke down on the Dan Ryan Expressway, wanting someone to jump in our old wrecker and run up there and haul him back home. It rang and it rang and it rang, and I said, "I don't want to answer it. I don't want to go out there and pick up some idiot kid off the Dan Ryan Expressway and haul him back home. I don't want to fool with the record. it'll break down itself, and I got to call somebody to come get me." And it rang and it rang and it rang, and it rang so I said, "All right, I'll answer the phone." Picked it up and I said, "Hello." I wanted to make it sound like they got the wrong number. <laughs> I said, "Hello," they said, we're, "we're calling for for Wally Davis." No one in the history of the world has ever called the first Baptist Church of Hammond asking for Wally Davis. And I said, and I thought, okay, I paid everybody I owe money to. Uh, if I filed my taxes, I said, yes, this, this is Wally Davis. He said, this is Tom. Oh, Tom. I had just been in Tom's wedding. And he said, Wally, he said, let me tell you what happened. My wife went to the store, you know, newlyweds, just learning about this, you know, fixing things and buying stuff. He said she bought this three pound steak and instead of taking it home and and cutting up into servable servings and, and then freezing the rest, she froze the entire thing. And when she unthought it, she had to unthaw all of it. He said, we can't unthaw it and refreeze it and unthaw it. He said, so we have three pounds of meat sitting here that we've got to prepare tonight. He said, have you had supper yet? I said, well, i just fix and eat the little thing I threw together here. It'll probably keep till tomorrow. <laughs> it had already kept for seven weeks, you know another day he said let me tell you he says she's got this steak going here and baked potato and sour cream and she's got she's got hot apple pie and she's got fresh made bread he said he said if, if you haven't already eaten and if it can keep until tomorrow if it's something you need later i said yeah i can it's something i can eat later he said come on over and eat with us tonight Man before the phone line went back to a dial tone, I was at his house. You say brother Davis. That's 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 just a coincidence. Why well, I feel sorry for folks who would say that because that tells me that you probably have never been in a situation to have God answer what you know was an answer to your call upon him for something. Young people, you need to abide in him. Why? That your prayers might be answered. So, Brother Davis, we're, we're, we're not we're not old like you. Thank you very much for your diplomacy. But we're not old like you, and we don't have as many neat. Your needs might be different than mine, but there's still needs. And you still need to get hold of the same throne of glory. And you still need to be ushered into into the presence of Almighty God. And you still need to live every day of your life so that at any given moment when something arises, you can go boldly before the throne of grace. If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, you can ask what you will, and it shall be done. Why else should I... Bide in Christ, Brother Davis. Well, that your prayers might be answered, and the obvious statement is the one we read together a moment ago: that you may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His appearing. When I was in school, I did not enjoy study hall. Matter of fact, when I was in school, there's very little that I did enjoy. Uh, didn't like uh, didn't like the classes. I didn't enjoy the teachers, you know, necessarily, and all the homework and stuff. And we were in study hall, and the librarian ran our study hall. Her name was Mrs. Pintech. We uh, we affectionately referred to who among her among among our, ourselves as Mrs. Pinhead. I was wrong. We should not have done that. It was cruel. It was rotten. I'm just confessing my sins to you. She had these glasses that she wore that sat down the end of her nose. She never looked through them. I don't know why she wore them. And she had these chain things that ran from this, this little earpiece around and hooked on it, as if she were afraid somebody might try to steal those ugly things off her head. I to say, get a refund on the chain. We don't want your glasses. She would sit in that study hall and she ruled that thing with an iron rod where you try to talk in there. Man, she was on you. She, oh, you got to be quiet in the study hall. Shh! Oh, my buddy and I one day said, We've got to get out of here. We're we're about to die. We've got to get out of study hall. You've got to study in here. You can't talk. Mrs. Pinhead, I mean Mrs. Pintech is always on you. You got the chain thing going. And uh, you don't want to be in here. So we practiced a signature of one of our teachers until we we reached a signature that we thought might get us out of study hall. And the signature that we, we were able to kind of get quite well was Gerald R. Hughes, who was our mathematics teacher. In addition to that, he was our varsity football coach that Dee Pearson and I both were on the varsity football squad together. If it means anything to you, it was not my forgery that, that, that worked. <laughs> it was my buddy, D Pearson. So the big day came, and we went up to Mrs. Pintech, and we said, well, we have a hall pass to be excused here to, to do some work at the math room where we're a project for Mr. Hughes here. And what well, she looked at it, and I thought, oh, man. And, and all of a sudden, she looked through her glasses. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. Those must be truth detectors or something. And she's looking down through the glasses, and then she said, all right, but don't talk in the hallway. All far be it from us to talk in the hallway. We got up to the mathematics room, room 101, down at the end of the hallway, and went in there, and man, it was great. Finally, we, we, we knew that from then on, all we had to do was just sign that thing with his name, and we were free once or twice a week at least we could get out of that class. We got in there, and I said, gee, this is great! Other, the, the, the janitor had already put all the chairs up on top of the desk and swept the floors because the room wasn't in use that last hour. And I said, you know what? I have always wanted to do something. Mr. Hughes has a chair behind his desk. Awesome chair. He sat in that chair. had sort of shock absorbers that kind of go up and down on it like this. It would roll across the floor. It would lean backwards and forwards. It would twirl. I said, I've always, and we had those kind of chairs, everybody knows you sit in it and it was straight. As a matter of fact, even leaned you forward a little bit just to make you uncomfortable so you try to learn. I said, I've always wanted to get that chair doing everything it could do all at the same time. I said, so here's the deal. I'm gonna run and jump in the chair. When I jump in it, it's gonna start going up and down like this. I said, then when i I said, then I want you to shove me. And then when you shove me, I want you to twirl me and I'll lean forwards and backwards like this. So I'd be going up and down, going down the hallway, round and round, back and forth. It'll be greater, better than going to an amusement park and it's for free. So I worked at it, got the chair out there, ran, jumped in it, for going down. He shoved me and whirled me, so I'm going down the road, round and round, backwards and forwards, up and down. It was great, until I saw four eyeballs. Little, Windows, somewhat like you have in the doors coming in here, the door on the side over there, little windows there where they can look in and make sure you're really doing in the math in which you're supposed to be doing in there. And I uh, saw these four eyeballs, and my blood began to run like ice in my veins. Two of the eyeballs belonged to Mr. Gerald R. Hughes. The other two eyeballs belonged to Mr. Stacy, our high school principal. Oh, man. Oh, no. So I grabbed hold of a bunch of stuff, trying to stop. Trying to figure out some way I could blame it on D. I didn't want to do it. He threw me in the chair and shoved me. And they walked in, walked over. We're both standing at attention like a couple of good soldiers. Mr. Stacy says, do, do you have a, a pass to be out of study hall? And I thought, man, how are we going to... I'd rather tell him we just kind of, you know, escape. But then D. Pearson exercised the fact that he had brain damage. And he said... Yeah, yeah we have a hall pass. I said, No, no, no we don't. He said, Yeah, we got a hall pass. I said, Do you got a whole pass? And then a- He reached his pocket, put it out there, and he looked at it. He said, Mr. Hughes, look at this. He looked at it, he said, Man, that is good. And he said, Who did this? And he went, I did. (laughs) Brain damage reoccurred. Boy, they took us down to the boiler room and that smile evaporated that quickly. Oh, I'm telling you something. When I saw those four eyes looking in the room while I was having what I thought was fun, I was ashamed before them at their appearing. Boy, man. This world is full of God's people. Young men and young ladies, just like those seated in this auditorium this morning, who know the name of Jesus and you've claimed His name as your Savior. And to the point where the Lord looks down and He even calls you my little children. If you had to tell the God's honest truth, in the last month. There are things that you have done that would have brought shame and reproach not only to you, but to his name as well. And he looks down, and he says, I- I've got a I've got a message for you. Three words abide in him. Abide in him. Abide in him. Why? Do so you might have your prayers answered? Yes. But in a real personal way, that you might not be ashamed before him at his appearing. He's coming back. And he's going to reveal the things that have been done in secret. So how will that be revealed? As you watch our works being burned as hay, wood, and stubble. And our motives are going to go up like smoke. Young men and young ladies, I, I've got to beg you to do something today. Why don't you let those three little words impact you with the full intent that the Word of God was intended when it was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Abide in Him. If you had to tell the truth, some of you need to come to an old-fashioned altar and kneel here and say, Dear God, I'm not ready for you to come back. I don't want to see your eyes looking through the window. I don't want to meet you right now with this thing hanging over my head. I've got to get it right. Right? Some of you said some mean things with your mouth. Some of you have had conversations that have not been glorifying to the Lord. Some of you have had activities done with the body that have brought shame to the name of God. Activities that you know is unscriptural. Giving yourselves over to the lust of the flesh. And you think, well, big deal. So what? Yeah, it's a big deal. And yes, so what? The so what is I'm coming back and some of you are not going to be confident and some of you are going to be ashamed before me at my appearing. Just like that group that was working around the Burger King because they thought I was somebody there to inspect them. Man, if they'd lived that way every day of their lives, then the inspector could show up anytime he wants. The king could come back anytime he wants. Have a need, I can go before him expecting him to answer my prayers. I'm not going to be ashamed when he comes. But I'm going to be glad that he's here. Only you know the truth, well you and the Lord, maybe a couple others. How is your life? Does it measure up to 1 John 2, 28? And now, little children, abide in him that you may have confidence not be ashamed before him at his appearance. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website